Let's pray. Father, we um, just rejoice this morning that we're able to come together and do what we just did. You are the God who saves us. And Father, You have graciously worked to save us by sending Your Son as one of us and by crushing Your Son for our sins, washing us clean through His blood, giving us hearts that are inclined toward You instead of away from You, giving us eyes that see and ears that hear. Redeeming us from our sin back into a worshipful relationship with You. And as we come together and we sing Your praises and as we look at Your glory in Jesus Christ, You confirm in our hearts that we were made for You. You confirm in our hearts that only You satisfy. And You work it into our hearts the desire to live our lives to Your glory. Oh God, we thank You for redeeming us from from living for ourselves and from living for our glory in a way that would lead to death, and that you've redeemed us to living for you and to rejoicing in you and finding our joy in who you are. And now as we come to your word, Father, we pray that what we just saying, that you would do that this morning. Lord, awaken sleeping hearts. Make, make our hearts burn with desire for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, change our lives so that when we leave today and we go into our weeks that, that we're different than we are right now. We're different than when we came in because you worked to accomplish your purpose through your Word. Father, be gracious to us in these next few minutes to speak to us. To speak powerfully to our ears and our, and our lives and, and, and most of all to our hearts and to show us the glory of Jesus Christ and to lead us after Him. God, our, our ultimate prayer this morning is that, is that the result of today would be that You are glorified and that Christ is magnified through Your people finding joy in You. And we pray that Your Spirit would minister to all of us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I really enjoyed that time worshiping together with you all. It was, it was really, really um, a joy to my heart to, to hear God's people singing praise, to take communion together, to, to feed on Christ together as we, as we embrace by faith what He's done for us on the cross. And as I prayed, it, it was just confirming to my heart, this is what we were made for. This is... This is why we exist, to worship God. And, and coming together weekly like this is, is one of the 
highlights of my life, one of the highlights of our lives as people is to worship with God's people. Um, in response, that, that today's sermon is, um, I want you to understand it primarily as what is our response to everything that we just did? What is our response to God's glory? What is our response to the work of Christ? Um, I think that the response that you'd agree with me is that, that we want to, to glorify this God, right? We, we want to glorify him with our lives. And we're in this series in Proverbs on wisdom. Remember, wisdom is the skill to navigate all of life effectively to the glory of God. So in light of Christ, in light of the cross, that's what we want to do. That's, that's what God's put in our hearts. God, we want to glorify you. How do we do that better? That, that's, that's what this sermon, that's the context of this sermon, that's the context of this series, is we want to glorify you because of what you've done for us. How can we do that more effectively? And so, imagine with me, um, maybe, maybe some kids here can help me out with getting the picture in my head, but imagine a pirate ship, all right, just imagine a big old pirate ship, okay, um, can some of the kids tell me, like, what, what would that look like, if I'm th- trying to think of a big pirate ship, what features are there in a big pirate ship, let's start calling it out, what, yeah, you're not a kid, Carolyn, so, <laughs> the Jolly Roger, what, what would you say? What's one feature of a pirate ship? Oh, there might be a treasure chest on it. Yeah, so they've got to get that treasure chest to, to where it needs to go to hide it, right? Okay, what else? Yeah, Braden. Big sails, all right? You've got big sails. They probably are black, right, and intimidating, all right? What else? Cannons. Yeah, you've got the cannons there to defend from enemies, or I guess they're the enemies, but to defend from people attacking them. <laughs> yeah, what else you got? Just call it out. Parents call it out for them if they're shy. What's that? Yeah, pirates. Yeah, you got your you got your pirates. You got your crew. Rudder. Yep. What was that? Flags. Yeah. All right. Plank. Yeah, you got to walk the plank. All right. You got all these features, right? All these things are going to help you get to your destination, right? You're going to help the pirate crew navigate that treasure to the destination. Get where they need to go. Um, I don't know if anyone mentioned this. I might, they might have. I didn't hear it. But, but there's something called the helm, the big wheel, right? The big wheel. It's what I always called it as a kid. I looked it up this morning. What's the big wheel on a pirate ship? It's the helm. All right. So they don't have helms as much anymore. But um, imagine that you are the captain of a pirate ship. You are, you know, your captain. Uh, Dread Pirate Roberts or whatever your name is, and you are um, taking your crew, and you. you want to navigate your crew to that destination, right? And you get the sails going, you, you command your crew to do all their posts, and you, you make traders walk the plank, and you defend from enemy territory, but you forget about the helm. Forget about the helm. Um, if you've watched cartoons, you know that when you let go of the helm, what happens? What, what does it, start? it just starts to spin, right? It just starts to spin away. It, the helm controls the direction of the ship. It's no matter how well you might do it, everything else to get your ship where it needs to go, if you lose control of the helm, it's not only not, you're not going to not just get where you need to go, it's going to work against you. It's going to start working against you, right? Because it's going to start spinning and spinning just whatever direction it wants to go. A, a helm without a captain on it is a ship that cannot get where it needs to go. And I want to say to you this morning that our hearts are the helm of our lives 
as, our, as we navigate life to the glory of God. As, as we seek to effectively navigate life to the glory of God, our hearts are the helm. And if we just ignore our hearts, and if we, do, if we try to do everything else right in our lives, but we ignore our hearts, not only is it not going to work for us, it's going to work against us. Our hearts are going to turn us where we cannot go, and it's going to be impossible to glorify God. So here, here's just the main thought this morning. You can write this down. The skill to effectively navigate all of life to the glory of God begins with your heart. Begins with your heart. If you want to be wise, if you want to live a wise life of navigating life to the glory of God in response to the work of Christ on the cross for you, if you want to do that, then you have to pay attention to your heart. You can't just leave it unattended or else it's going to start spinning you out of control. You're not going to be able to do it. All right? And so... So that is where we're, what's what we're looking at today. The, the title is The Skill of Using Your Heart. The Skill of Using Your Heart. It's a skill to use your heart. The heart is not something that we can just let go unmanned and just let it do what it wants to do. We need to know how to use our heart. And so if you turn in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. Proverbs 4, 20 through 27 is where we're going to be today. We're going to read this text, and then we're going to look at some instructions from this text to skillfully use our hearts to the glory of God. So Proverbs 4, 20-27. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil." We're going to walk through this text together, and what we have today is four instructions to skillfully use your heart to the glory of God. So the goal by the end of the day is that we would know better how to use our hearts to the glory of God, and there's four instructions. The first one is is not in this text, but this text brings rise to it, and then the last three are all found in this text. And so first, if you want to use your heart to skillfully to glorify God, if you want to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and glorify God in your heart, You need to start by understanding your heart. So number one, understand your heart. We need need to know what the heart is, what the heart does, and what's going on inside our own hearts if we want to move forward at all. And so what I want to do now is just give you just a simple overview of what the Bible teaches on the heart. And I I might jump around to some different passages. You don't need to worry about going there. But we're just going to look at what is the heart. And, and Ben already kind of got us started on this. We're just going to take what he said further. And so, so if you're asking the question, what is the heart? Um, again, physically, we know what the heart is. It's, it's, it's the organ that pumps blood through our body and keeps us alive. And that itself tells us something, that the heart is crucial to life, right? Spiritually, the heart is crucial to life, just as physically it's crucial to life. It can refer to the mind, Different scriptures refer to the heart as the mind, the emotions, the will, 
the conscience, um, or sometimes it's just a combination of all these things. And like Ben said, the heart essentially is it's the real you. It's who you are. It's the inner man. Now, when I hear inner man, I st- that still doesn't help me very much. Uh, just That seems very vague to me, and I don't know what to think of that, my inner man. Um, so just to help you understand what do you mean by the heart, if I, um, Matt, if I was talking to you and I, and I just was telling you, I'm, I've been really beginning to know um, my coworker. Um, by that, I don't mean, yeah, he's 5'8", he's and he has brown eyes, and um, he, he's got... Um, He's, he's this heavy, you know, and he was born in this location. That's, that's not really what I mean by getting to know a coworker, right? When you get to know someone, you mean you're getting to know their hearts. You're getting to know their desires. You're getting to know who they are on the inside, right? You're not really as concerned with getting to know their physical features or those sorts of things. You're, when you get to know someone, you know who they are on the inside. That's the heart. You're getting to know their hearts. And so if that is helpful at all, just know that the heart is who you are. On the inside, it's the combination of your thoughts, your desires, your emotions, your will, as they all work together to make you the person you are. And so that's what the heart is. Second, what the heart does. What does the heart do? Again, we, we found, you can kind of make some connections here because it, it, it's the realm of our thoughts. So the heart thinks, right? That's the realm of our emotions. It, it feels. It's the realm of our will. So it um, desires, it wants, it plans. These are, these are all things that happen in the heart, but all those things taken together tell us that the heart's primary function is worship. The heart is, you might call, you're a worshiper. All right? if, you, if you have an organ that's, that's your worshiper, that's your heart. It's, it's what you worship with. And, and just like our human hearts are always beating, our spiritual hearts are always worshiping. Right now, you are worshiping something. We're always worshiping. We are, as human beings, we are worshipers. That, that is the core identity of who we are that sets us apart from everything else in creation. God made us in his image as worshipers of himself. And we're always worshiping something. Our hearts are always dominated by a desire for something that rules our lives. And so our hearts are our worshipers. But, so that's what the heart is. It's It's you. What the heart does, it's, it's, it worships, it's your worship. And then a history of our hearts, we need to understand this as well. What, what does the Bible say about the human heart? Um, first, like I just said, God gave us hearts to worship him. Um, when, when it says that God made us in his image, part of what that means is that God gave us hearts. Trees don't have hearts spiritually. Animals don't have spiritual hearts to worship God with. Only human beings have worshipers inside them. Only, only human beings have hearts to worship God with, and, and God gave them to us because he made us to glorify himself. Our whole purpose, the whole reason that human beings exist is to worship God, and the heart is the part of us that does that. But sin came into the world, the, the rejection of God and the worship of something in place of God, and thereby all hearts became defective. Every human heart became a defective heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the hearts are desperately sick. Ephesians 2.1 says that we're dead. And that's in reference to our hearts. We're, we're unable to do the things that, that entail spiritual life. 
And then this is probably the most clear verse about the human heart after the fall. Genesis 6-5, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a description of man. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's our hearts. That, that, that's the, the part of us that God made to worship him, now totally marred to the point that every single intention of our hearts is evil. It's idolatrous. And of course, because our hearts are defectively bent toward evil, it means that we do evil, and we need not only forgiveness from sin, but we need a new heart. We need a new heart. We need healing to our hearts. And this happens through faith in Jesus Christ. In Ezekiel 36, God says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. God, God promises in the Old Testament that he's going to give them hearts that work again. Hearts that work to worship God again. That's a promise of the Old Testament. And it comes through Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He has a new heart. He's a new person. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so there's the history of our hearts that we were created with this heart to worship God. We lost the ability to do that through sin. Our hearts became defective. But through Jesus Christ, we are given new hearts again that can worship God again. But for those of you that are in Christ this morning, would you say that your worship of Christ and your worship of God is just perfect? I mean, is, is your new heart just working in such a way that you never sin anymore and that, and that you're always just, you know, the, the, the rudder is permanently set to go the right direction, the helm? No, right? We, we struggle. And we're going to, that's also the testimony in the New Testament is that until Christ returns, our old hearts still have influence in our lives. We have a new heart now as well, but, but we have two influences in our lives. So you see things like put off the old man and put on the new man. And in Galatians 5, you see the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. Right now, this is the reality in Christ. We have a new heart that allows us to worship God again, but we also have an old heart that influences us towards idolatry. And so we have a struggle. We have a war going on in our hearts all the time. And so that's, that's just understanding the heart. We just need to understand those points if we want to move forward and use our hearts to the glory of God. And so let's, let's just re- maybe review those things that our heart is who we are on the inside. Its function is worship. It's always worshiping. Outside of Christ, it's totally unable to worship God. In Christ, we now have the ability to worship God, but we're still influenced by our old natures and our old hearts. And so it's a struggle. That's where we are. That's our situation. So now we're going to get into our text and, and look at three more instructions for using our hearts to the glory of God. So the next one is feed your heart. Feed your heart. Let's read verses 20 through 22 again. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Alright, so feed your heart. We know that the book of Proverbs is written as a father to his son. That's, that's what's going on here. He says, this father is saying to his son, listen to my words. 
listen, listen to my sayings. And, and he's referring to um, not just this paragraph here, this section, but he's referring to all the Proverbs. He's saying, listen to the truth that I'm giving you, the truth of God that I'm giving you. And look what he says. He doesn't just say, hear it, but he says, be attentive to it, incline your ear to it, let them not escape from your sight, and keep them within your heart. There's this progression from hearing to remembering to retaining it in your heart that the Father is commanding the Son to, to, to go through that progression. Don't just hear my words. Don't just look at my words every once in a while, but, but get them all the way down into your heart. And so what this teaches us about the heart is that the heart needs food. The heart, the heart needs fuel. The heart needs truth to feed on for it to be effective. And look, verse 22, what's the result of feeding the heart with truth? They are life to those who find them and heal into all their flesh. So a heart that receives the truth of God is going to find spiritual life is happening in that heart. Spiritual healing is happening in that heart. But it comes from the truth. It comes from hearing and paying attention to and retaining and embracing and keeping truth in the heart. When that happens, then life is the result. And, and that word healing implies that um, there's brokenness, right? I mean, if you, look, if you just talk about life with each other, then you might say that my life's not that great. You know, why, why would I want life? <laughs> because my life's hard. I mean, there are people that end their lives because they don't enjoy life. This isn't just talking about um, living. It's talking about being healed from all that makes life less than it was intended to be and having full life, having joyful life, having abundant life, the good life, right? Saying that the truth of God kept in the heart brings about that fullness of life. Our hearts are designed to live on God's truth. You think about this just um, with parts of the body, right? Like your muscles. What do your muscles need to thrive? Protein, right? Yeah, your muscles need protein. And if, and if you starve your muscle of protein, then your muscles are, are not going to function and, and they're not going to do what they're called to do. It's the same thing with God's word and God's truth. If you want a heart that works, you need to give it what it needs. And that's God's word. That's God's truth. And specifically... It's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. This is, this is why we, we don't just accept Christ and then move on from Christ. Because Christ, yes, he saves us, but he's also the food that continually nourishes our hearts every day of our lives. And so we always need to go back to Christ. The, the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and the New Testament tells us that Christ has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in him truth is ultimately found in Jesus Christ who is the truth and so it's an absolute necessity for us to fill our hearts with Jesus Christ regularly to the glory to the glory of God we we can't not feed ourselves with the word of God and so we're going to come back to why it's so necessary to look at Christ specifically in a later point but right now I just want to do a little application what is it how do you actually get truth from out here whether it's through a sermon, through a reading, through a song. How do you get truth from out here into your heart? What's the process that that looks like? And, and I think that this progression does tell us something about that. First, it says, 
Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. So to get truth into your heart, it starts with just actually listening to it attentively. Like kids, when you come to church on Sundays, if you want to be benefited by that, you need to, to listen as best as you can to the Word of God. You need to be attentive to it, and don't just let it kind of skim over your mind and you forget about it the next second. You need to listen attentively. This is why I take notes when I listen to sermons. I almost never look at my notes again, but it helps me to listen while I am hearing the sermon, just to take notes while it's coming out. I might not look at them again, but, but it's helping me be attentive. So that needs to happen first. Just, just attend to the truth that way. Um, but second, he, he, does, he goes on and he says, let them not escape from your sight. Um, I read in one commentary it said that, that here truth is personified as something that will run away from you if you let it. How many times, how many times, just be honest with yourself, have you come on a Sunday, heard a sermon, enjoyed the sermon, um, been excited about that sermon, walked out, and never thought about that message again? You just walked away from it. It's because truth runs away from you. We need to find ways to not let it escape from our sight. Um, here I'll say one thing about Bible memorization. Um, first confession, um, I, I've never really been someone that can systematically memorize Scripture. I don't want to say can. That I've never been someone that has done that. I think I could. But I've never systematically memorized Scripture, um, maybe except when I was in Awanas. Um, there is so much value in memorizing Scripture because it helps you to retain it. Right? It helps it to not escape from you. But to, when you memorize it, you can recall it easily to your mind. But at the same time, when I was a kid and, and when I was a teenager, I remember hearing this verse a lot. I have hidden your word in my heart. What does it say? That I might not sin against you, right? So kids, memorize your Bible verses, right? Because if you hide your word in your heart, you won't sin against God. And so, so they memorize the verse, and they get their candy, and they never think about it again, and they really don't even know what the verse means. That's not hiding your word in your heart. So memorization is a tool that helps move the word into your heart. But memorization is not getting the word into your heart. It's getting the word into your mind, possibly temporarily, so that you can get a piece of candy if you're in Awana, right? But that's not getting the word into your heart. It's a tool. It's a good tool. But to get the word into your heart requires understanding it and meditating on it. It requires understanding it and meditating on it. So, Parents, if you do memory verses with your kids, I'd suggest have them memorize it, but then ask them questions about it. Ask, what does this mean? And and what does this mean to your life? And how have you tried to apply that? That's what it means to hide the word in your heart, is to think about it, to chew on it, to search out its implications for your life, to let it change you. That's hiding God's word in your heart. And that's, that's what the Father aims with his Son here. And that's what God's aim for us is every time that we hear his word. He wants us to go all the way to the heart, and if we hear the word of God and we don't go that far with it, then it was ineffective in us. It, it needs to get to our hearts to change our lives. And if we want to navigate life to the glory of God, then the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to let God's word get all the way down into our hearts to the level that changes us. And so, a couple, just along with those applications, steps like in a, something like today, so you're hearing. Do what you can to hear this sermon. But then, go home And whether you look at your notes or not, think about the sermon more. Maybe the next day, me me and my wife have been doing this. On Monday mornings, we we just look at the sermon from the day before together and talk about it. And so so you find a way to not let it escape from you that way. 
Talk about it in your family worship. Do things like that. And then, on your own, meditate on it more and, and write down ways to apply it to your life and, and pray through that text that God gave you. Find ways to get it down into your heart. And that, that's how the preaching and teaching and reading of God's Word is going to be effective. And so feed your heart. That's, that's um, the second instruction that this text gives us. The third, verses 23 and 24, restrain your heart. Restrain your heart. So let's read 23 and 24. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. All right, so restraining your heart. Um, I want to start in this section by looking at the second half of verse 23 as the foundation of understanding this instruction. From the heart flow the springs of life. From the heart flow the springs of life. And so we've already established one thing about the heart, that the heart is the, the part of us that worships. And here we establish another truth that from the heart flowed the springs of life. And we, we need to ask, what is the relationship between those two truths? Um, first, what does the phrase springs of life mean? I think on a first reading of it, you might just assume it's saying that life comes from your heart. So that meant, you, you kind of hear that, right? From, from your heart flow the springs of life. But think about that for a second. I mean, those of you who know, who know God's word well, does life come from within our hearts? No. Life does not come from our hearts. Death comes from our hearts. Destruction comes from our hearts. So that can't be what it means. So what does it mean? It's, a, it's an idiom in the Hebrew, and so there's lots of different translations of it. But essentially, what it means is that your heart affects everything you do. So that, that phrase, of life, is referring, it's saying that it affects life. The springs that come out of you and affect your life starts in the heart. Does that make sense? The springs of life are, are the things in you that come out and affect your life. And so your heart controls everything you do. And again, how does this connect with our worship? Here's the connection. Our actions are the overflow of our worship. We, we always do in accordance with what we're worshiping in that moment. Always. That, that is the rule to understand yourself in the Christian life. So, so if you are struggling with a sin there is a worship issue at the bottom of that struggle. There is a worship issue there. It's not that, you know, you might say, I know I, I love God, but I just can't stop sinning. That, there's, that's not totally true. Part of you loves God, but part of you loves something else more than God in that moment that's causing you to chase after that sin. The heart is the place of worship, and, and that worship flows into your life in such a way that everything you do is affected by it. So there's always something ruling your heart, always something that you make ultimate in your life. And if you make something ultimate in your life, then you're going to worship that and you're going to act in accordance with that. And so um, let's keep going and understanding this verse. Let's look at the first half then. If that's true, that our hearts affect everything we do, then what's the command? Keep your heart with all vigilance. When I was in youth group, um, we had purity reigns with this verse on it, and it, and it said to guard your heart, and it had this idea that um, the, the heart is the realm of romantic love, and you need to guard it from all the pretty girls around you because it's not time for that yet. You know, that's, that's not what it means. Uh, Running that word in youth group and think that's what it means, that's not really what this verse is talking about. Um, the word keep um, 
most literally translated is, is restrain. It's restrain your heart. Um, and that, that we need to kind of dig into that concept a little bit. Why would, why would the instruction be to restrain your heart? It seems very counterintuitive to us because we live in a Disney World culture, right? There's a great song by Disney, though I don't agree with the theology, I was all about to tell you, but it's in, it's in the movie Aladdin, and, and one of the lines is, let your heart decide. Princess, just let your heart decide. What do you want to do? Let, just let, and then there's another song more popular, listen to your heart. You guys know that one? Listen to your heart when it's calling to you. Right, that, that's our culture. The heart is just this, this neutral or even positive force inside of us. It's mainly our feelings, and if you're not sure, just go with your heart. Right? This verse says, restrain your heart. It's the exact opposite of advice. It says, don't go with your heart. That's going to that's be bad news. Don't listen to your heart. Don't let your heart decide, princess. Right? He's saying, restrain it. Restrain it from what? From what? Again, we need to understand that the, the heart is the realm of worship. It's the realm where we worship God or we worship idols. And so he's saying, restrain your heart from those idolatrous desires that will flow out into your life and bring death. Restrain your heart from those idolatrous desires that will, that will inevitably cause you to act against the will of God, against the glory of God. So remember the, the analogy at the beginning about the helm and the ship? If you just leave that helm on its own, it doesn't just stay going wherever you last had it. It starts spinning off to other directions. And that's the way our hearts are. If we don't attend to our hearts then they're going to start veering off towards our idolatrous desires. And so even though we might say we want to glorify God, our hearts are going to inevitably have desires that overtake that desire. And we're going to glorify ourselves. We're, we're going to worship other things. We're going to act out against the glory of God. That's why this is so crucial. And, and the thing is, it's not, idols are not just sins. They definitely are sins, but they're not just sins. An idol is any desire that trumps God as the ultimate desire in your heart. Any desire that rules you is an idol. That's what you worship. And so I think it would be easy to talk about sinful desires, but I want to talk about a few that might be closer to home that we struggle with and maybe don't know we struggle with. So one idol that we could struggle with is a close family, having, having a close-knit, happy family. Um, in, my, in my family, I've seen this idol... Um, take place, and I've seen the happiness it brings when this idol is doing what they want it to do, and I've seen the destruction it brings once that close family stops being close, and that idol smashed, and the hopes are gone. A close family, think about it, if that's the ultimate desire in your heart, it's not a bad desire, right? It's a good thing to want a close family. That reflects something of God's design for the family. But if that's ultimate in your life, then what happens when a family member um, might, might delve into sin. And it's your responsibility to confront them in that, but, but you don't want to confront them because it's going to break the peace and you're not going to be as close as you, as you once were. Whatever desires rule in your heart is going is to describe what you do in that moment. It's going to define it, right? If, if your desire is ultimately, my life is for the glory of God, Jesus Christ gave himself for me, I want to please him, then you're going to confront your brother or sister in their sin. But if your desire is ultimately, the most important thing to me is that we're close and that we enjoy being with each other. 
then you're going to do whatever you can to not go there with them. And so, so what you're worshiping is determining your actions. Another example would be financial security. I don't believe that, that as I talk with you and as, as we do life together that, that our church struggles with pursuing the American dream. But I do think that we have a temptation towards just wanting to be secure, just wanting to know that we'll have enough money at the end of the month, wanting to know that, that our jobs are safe, and, wanting, and just wanting to be secure, and making that ultimate, that we're going to live for God, but, but more importantly, we're going to make sure that we're secure first. And once we're secure, we'll live for God. Again, financial security is a, is a good thing, it's, but it's something that comes from God, and when we start to pursue it as ultimate, it can get in the way of faithfulness to God. Uh, an example might be if your job is in a place where you could lose your job for witnessing to Christ. Now, there might be ways to go about witnessing that would be wise so that you don't lose your job inevitably. But at the, at the end of the day, you're in a situation where security means I don't share the gospel and risk means I do. The desire that's ruling your heart is going to become what controls your actions. And so you need to restrain your heart from those idols, from those desires that can rule you so that you worship God with your life. So application, how do we do that? How do we restrain our hearts from idolatry? In other words, how do we keep those idolatrous desires that are remnants of our old heart from dominating the good desires of our new hearts to glorify God? You could really preach eight sermons on the answer to that question. Um, so this is, this is very thin in some ways of response, but, but to start you in the right direction with how do you do this, um, the first thing is just acknowledge your desires. Not just sinful desires, just acknowledge your desires. What do you want? Answer that question. What, what do you want out of life? What would, make, what would make you happy if this happened in your life? Just, just, just know what your desires are. Acknowledge them, know them, Make sure that they're not hidden desires. Then deal with those desires. If it's a sinful desire, you need to repent of that desire. If, if it's a desire that is just against the will of God, you need to turn from that. You need to kill that desire. You need to die to that desire. And you need to turn away to God's desire. But if it's a good desire, what do you do? I think Jesus' example in the garden is a, is a good example. He, he prayed. His desire was don't don't let me drink this cup. Father, is there a way that I, that I could not drink this cup? That was a legitimate desire in Jesus' heart. But what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey you. You're ultimate to me. Right? And that's Jesus Christ who was perfect. Right? He had a good desire, but he submitted that good desire to the desire of God for his life. And so once you have those good desires, submit them to God. Hold them with an open hand and don't pursue them as ultimate. And then pray for God to dominate your desires. I've been convicted that we do not pray enough. We, we want to do a lot of things, whether and good things. We want to read our Bible. We want to meditate. We want to go to church. We want to confess our sins. But so many times we don't just pray, God, help me. God, would you help me in this because I'm weak? So, so do that. Pray for God to dominate your desires. And then um, the best way to defeat a desire is with a greater desire right? You guys have experienced that, right? So, so if you are um, on a diet and you really want to lose weight, but also someone comes and offers you a big piece of chocolate cake with ice cream, warm chocolate cake with ice cream, right? Um, whatever desire 
is greater is going to win out in that moment, right? Either you're going to eat the cake or you're going to not eat it for your sake of your diet, but, but the reason you choose what you do is because one of those desires is greater. And we need to have a greater desire that we, that we stir up. And so we need to stir up our desire for God by meditating on Christ. We need to stir up our desire for God by meditating on Christ. If you read the Psalms, you, you see things like nothing can compare with you. You are better than silver. You are better than gold. It's, it's better to be a doorman at your house than, than to have everything in the world, right? And Paul, Paul says, I consider everything else just rubbish compared to knowing Christ. When you see God in Jesus Christ, you realize that, that he is the most desirable person that our hearts could ever go after. We talk about the glory of God, but I don't think we get the sense enough that God's glory is beautiful. And, it, and it, when we see it with the eyes of our hearts, we're satisfied in it. And when, what we need to do is do things that stir that desire up. One example was what we did this morning just before the sermon. What we were doing there was stirring up desire for God. We're singing to him. The music that God designed is, help, is, is aligning with the truths that are in those songs to stir up our desire we're taking communion together, and we are, we're praying together. We're coming to him. Those things stir up desire. Taking a walk outside on a cool morning, just enjoying God's creation, stirs up desire. Being with God's people stirs up desire. Find ways to stir up your desire for God, but focus it on Jesus Christ, because he is the one in whom we see God, right? So, so stir up your desires that way, and once you do that, what you're going to find is that when when moments come where you have a, a war of desires in your heart, you're going to have the faith to say, God, you're better. God, I want you more. You rule my heart because you're so good. And then this, this one is, I'll be honest, um, th- this whole idea in Scripture um, is counterintuitive to me, but I think, it's, I think it's true. I know it's true because it's in Scripture, but look at verse 24. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. That this whole um, section of Proverbs 4 is essentially a metaphor, except this verse, which just gives a very straightforward command to watch over your speech. I was asking the question this week, why is this here? Why, why is this right after keeping your heart with vigilance? Jesus talks about these two things together. Jesus says in, New, in Luke 6, he says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks, Right? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. He makes this connection between what's in our hearts and what's said in our words. And I think that he, he, he rooted that in this verse. Jesus knew these verses and made that statement. And so the last thing to do as you're trying to restrain your heart is, is test it. Test where your heart is by looking at your words. Look at, look at the things you talk about especially when you are with people that are close to you, maybe when you're just, just with your spouse and you're coming home from church and you're talking about that morning together, what's, what's coming out of your mouth? Is it worship? Is it praise? Is it delight in God? Or is it, man, that casserole was really bad today, you know? No, that's never happened here. Look at your words and, and you can trace your words back to your heart. That's the principle. So, so once you've done these things and you want to know is my heart changing? Look to your words and see, are my words 
um, marked by glorying in Jesus Christ and exulting in God and loving people, or is it marred by cynicism and judgmentalism and slander and gossip and any other form of crooked speech that you could have? Test your heart with your words. And so all that gets us to the last section here, 25 to 27. The fourth instruction to skillfully use your heart is use your heart. Use your heart. 25 to 27, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So, these verses go back to the path metaphor that we saw last week. Remember, there were two ways last week, and it goes back to that metaphor, and it says, essentially, stay the path. Now that we've worked on your heart, get back on the path and start going, right? The heart is something to be restrained. The heart is something to be fed, but the purpose of the heart is not ultimately just to restrain it and to give it food. It's, it's to set it free to glorify God. Our hearts were made to glorify God. We cannot glorify God without our hearts. And we need to get to a point where we essentially know that our hearts have been set on the glory of God through repentance and through the word. And today, I'm going to live my life to the glory of God. You want to set it free to the glory of God. And, and I think that it's so easy for us to to go through the Christian life and to do the right things, but our hearts aren't in it. And the right things with our hearts not in it is not glorifying to God. It's not glorifying to God. The the Christian life is essentially a life of heart-level worship to God all the time. All the time. And so, verses 25 to 27 are very practical. He says, let your eyes look directly forward. He He says, set your mind on the goal of your life. And then 26, ponder the path of your feet. Think about, think about your steps. Think about what actions you're going to take today. Think about what's before you. Take that path. Say no to temptation. Don't swerve to the right or to the left. It's very practical, but it all flows out of a heart that has been tuned to the glory of God. And so, we're not, we're not going to sing this hymn right now, but we... I've thought about it a lot this week. Um, The last verse of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing says, Owe to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. So that's where we started this sermon, that we we are responding to the grace of God in our lives. We, We are indebted to God's grace eternally. A debt will never pay back. We're not trying to pay it back, but we are responding to the grace of God. We're constrained that way. Then let thy goodness, like a fetter, let thy goodness, like a chain, bind my wandering heart to thee. You hear that word in there, wandering heart? It doesn't just say bind my heart. It says bind, bind my heart that I know wanders away. Let your goodness be the chain that doesn't let it wander. Let your goodness in Christ be what restrains my heart. And he says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I feel the proclivity of my heart to worship idols prone to leave the God I love, here's my heart, Lord. Here it is. Take it. Seal it for thy courts above. Seal it for the worship of you. It's this recognition of of the heart and its proclivity to wander, but recognizing that God is so good. I want to live my life for his glory. So God, come help me. Take my heart so that I can live my life to your glory. 
that, that needs to be where our hearts are this morning, realizing that, that God has been so good to us. We want to give him the glory from the heart in our lives. So if the band would come up as we close, I just want to give you a moment to, to pray before we sing. And as you pray, um, confess the idolatrous desires that you're aware of this morning. If you, if you are aware of idolatrous desires that have been ruling your heart, just lay those down this morning. Give those to God. And then thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for the gospel. Um, set your eyes on him. Set your heart on him. Enjoy him. Delight in him. And then as we sing, offer your life to God. And in that last verse we sing, offer your heart as the, as the root of worship in your life. And then we'll close together.